Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF the Podcast. This is episode 63 called J. OMG, you guys, I cannot even tell you how excited I am to tell you about Fertility Rally memberships, which are going to be available starting June 1st. So this is something that Blair, my Fertility Rally co-founder and I have been working on for months. And we are so excited to open it up to everybody. It's an all-inclusive community created for everyone, everyone who's going through fertility, infertility, has gone through infertility, has questions about fertility in general, or anyone who's building their families in a non-traditional way. We see you. We want you to know that you're not alone. It's a space that's going to be for anybody seeking support curated information, meaning we've done all the work for you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to find yourself in one of those Google rabbit holes. It's all about inclusion and humor and kick-ass virtual and IRL events. Awesome discounts. So, so, so much cool stuff. So if you or anyone you love is navigating the rocky AF waters of fertility or infertility or intended parenthood, or beyond, because the truth is, even if you're done with infertility, your story doesn't necessarily end there. Definitely check out Fertility Rally memberships. Go to fertilityrally.com to sign up to get on the wait list, or starting June 1st, they're going to be available. So you can just go there and become a member. One of my favorite things too, is that we're doing giftable memberships. So if somebody you love is going through this and you don't know what to do for them, you can gift them a three month or a six month membership. So check it out. Let me know if you have any questions. We're so, so excited. We hope to see you there. All right. Love you. Bye. On today's episode, I'm proud to partner with NYU Langone Fertility Center, which performs over 3,000 fertility treatment cycles per year at their two convenient locations in Manhattan, New York. With more than 15,000 babies and counting, NYU Langone Fertility Center has been a world leader in providing compassionate and efficient fertility treatment since 1992. You guys, I'm not going to lie. That's the year I graduated from high school because I'm old. But anyway, NYU is amazing. And if you want some more information, you can call them at 212-263-8990. Or you can visit their website, which is fertilityny.org to get started. Again, it's NYU Langone Fertility Center, 212-263-8990 or visit their website at fertilityny.org. Thanks, NYU. Okay, guys, so Jennifer J. Palumbo, oh my gosh, where to begin? She is so fucking funny. I want to say that first of all. We met over a year ago when my podcast first came out. She called me for something. We ended up talking on the phone for like an hour and just having the best conversation. Then I saw her do stand up at a baby quest foundation event. And we kept in touch. I knew I always wanted to have her on the podcast. We just never really could sync up and pull it together until now. So here we are. Finally, you're going to hear from Jay as she is known in the fertility industry. And she is going to tell us all about what she went through to have her two sons. So she's going to talk about how Clomid made her act like the Hulk, She's going to talk about a uterine polyp that she had, 
called Jackson Polyp that had its own Twitter account. I shit you not. She's going to talk about all the IVF she went through. And it's not all fun and games, obviously, because this is a heavy topic. But, you know, we like to try to mix the laughter in when we can. So this is a great conversation. I'm going to let you guys hear it from Jennifer J. Palumbo in her own words. So without further ado, this is Jay's infertility story. Hi, Jay. How are you? Good. I'm thrilled to talk to someone that isn't my family right now. Same. Thank you so much for doing this during no, our, the queue, as we're calling this quarantine. Oh my God. Is that uh, what we're calling it? I love it. It sounds way know. more fun I, than what's actually happening. <laughs> I heard somebody say that they were like, somebody's birthday in the queue. And I was like, okay, I like that. So yeah, no, I like that too. Thanks for talking to me in the queue. I always like to start at the beginning with these, you know, people's stories and ask you, did you, you know, as a kid, did you always want to have a family? Did you always want to be a mom? Absolutely. I always had loved children and just would volunteer to work with kids. I was a camp counselor. I volunteered at Gilda's Club in Noogie Land, which was what I it was love called. Gilda's Club. Yes. I used to volunteer there in Chicago. It's so it's such a great Oh, really? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, but they had one in Brooklyn and they had one in New York. And I, I, Brooklyn was actually the bigger one and it was right down the street from where I lived. Mm-hmm. So I would go and volunteer. This is even before I was married. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would occasionally go to the one in Soho. And then I worked at Sesame Street right when I graduated college as a child talent intern. I saw that on your Instagram. Wait, tell yes. me about that. Oh my God, it was so fun. So cool. <laughs> It was. The weirdest thing for me, though, uh, is I really worship Maria growing okay. up because yeah. I didn't see a lot of people with dark hair like mine. Uh-huh. And so it was my first day interning there. And I, I'm a huge Jim Henson fan. I like had the Muppet magazine. I had Muppet everything. Uh-huh. There's so much I learned from the Muppets about humor and writing. Uh, honest to God. Totally. But, Yes. So the first day I'm at Sesame Street, I'm just like, oh my God, this is so exciting. And it is in its films, at at least at the time, at Kaufman Astoria Studios in Queens. Okay. So I take the subway ride there. That's how you get to Sesame Street. And they say, can you take this script to Sonia Manzano? And I'm like, okay. And I go to the door and it turns out Sonia Manzano is Maria. Oh. (laughs) I, I didn't know that was a real name. And so... She opens the door and I, I was, I like really had to be like, don't freak out because <laughs> this is like a fangirl moment. Yes. And so I handed her the script and she, the, she actually wrote some of the scripts. So they wanted her to make some edits and hand it back to me. And I, am I allowed to curse? Yes. Oh, please. Okay. Good. okay good. I want you to. So, so she's flipping through the pages and she got a paper cut and she went, oh shit. And I was like, oh, my God, Maria, Maria just cursed (laughs) whole childhood, you know, crumbling in front of me. It was totally shattered. It was. It was so it was so bizarre. Oh, that's funny. But I spent all day with the kids, keeping them entertained on the set and where they look and where they don't look. So I, I really always loved 
children and wanted to be a parent. And even when I was single for an insufferably long time, at least it felt that way. I was like, well, maybe I'll just have kids and not have, you know, a husband or boyfriend. I'm like, I'll just do it on my own. And I genuinely thought about that for a while, but yeah. Kids was always like number one on my list. Wait, I have a few more Muppet questions before we move on. <laughs> a, did you get to see them all when they were like in like storage or whatever? Like, yes, they called them dead. Isn't that yeah. terrible? I and they're like, don't ever take pictures of the Muppets when they're dead. I'm sure and you were like, that would be like a terrible offense. Yeah, yeah. And Snuffleupagus, you know, was very huge. Yeah, and they used to hang him from what do right. they call it? Like, like just the rafters. Ropes. Yeah, like rafters. And so he would be hung in the corner of the studio oh and if God. kids would ever come onto the set or tour the set they would be like what's up with Snuffleupagus yes and we're like he's sleeping and yeah. levitating at the oh same time God. they found a way to keep it entertaining for adults and children totally and yeah you don't always get that so I'm telling you, I could talk Muppets all day. Yes. Oh, my God. All right. Next time we, when we actually get to hang out in real life, I want to talk more about the Muppets. Yes. I'm actually wearing Oscar the Grouch socks right now. Really. I saw the, the, <laughs> the box of socks that you got. I was jealous. I'm a woman obsessed. Yes. I've been insta-stalking you. Oh, nice. Anyway. So, okay. So you had your job and then what happened when, did you start to think about having kids before you met your husband or did you meet him and then started down this road? Well, it's, it's so interesting to me because like now now that I'm older and, and have a different perspective, I I talk to a lot of women now about their fertility health. And I I think I kept doing that thing where I'm like, well, if I don't meet anyone this year, and then it's another year. And then I'm like, well, maybe if I just wait another year, like you mm-hmm. don't you don't really want to think there's actually a hard timeline because it's funny. I would get asked all the time, like, oh, why aren't you married yet? Or why didn't you have children? Did you put your career ahead of, you know, meeting someone? I'm like, no, I just, I haven't met anyone I could stand. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not sometimes a career. It's sometimes you just really, I don't know, maybe we all have higher standards these days, mm-hmm. but people are getting married later and having children later. And totally. I, I would like to think that we're all like, not marrying someone based on our biological clock, but we're marrying someone that we can stand. Right. Um, so are you in New York at this time? Like you've always been yes. in New York? Okay. Yeah. I was a, so I was a stand-up comic and uh, I had a day job, of course. I was corporate by day, comedy by night. And <laughs> I love it. I, well, you have to do something because stand-up does not pay the bills. So yeah, I just, I mean, I was constantly out meeting people, but there's this theory that I completely agree with that men don't like funny women. And I believe that. And men used to tell me that all the time. They're like, no, we, when we say we want you to have a sense of humor, it's to laugh at our jokes, not to make them. Um, (laughs) Do you think it's still like that? Like even now? Completely. Why? I don't know. And when I would try to meet guys, (laughs) like I would, I would actually ask my friends, don't say I do stand up comedy, please. Because Uh then most of the guys I would talk to would make it a competition on who's funnier. Oh, and it God. Would be like a disaster. I always remember this one time he was like, oh, you know, a lot of people say I should be a comedian. And then he started telling me the stupidest jokes. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm never going to meet anyone and I'm going to die alone. <laughs> so they must have been intimidated by you, right? I I really tried not to be. I mean, like I actually like someone's like, you know, maybe don't wear your hair back because it looks it looks it looks intimidating. What? Um, I know. So I would like wear my hair down and I would try not to be funny. I mean, it was oh, just God. stupid. So luckily, thank, thank heavens, I met my husband and he's also a stand up comic. Oh, and perfect. Yeah. It was like 
it was one of the only people I could marry, really. <laughs> because he actually thought I was as funny as I thought I was. So uh-huh. that was uh-huh. a huge advantage. But yeah, I was just single for a very long time. And I met him when I was 33. And, you know, in the real world, you don't think that's old. I mean, it's not. It's I would not, kill to be 33 right, right now. I oh mean, my God. yeah. So I, I just... I really thought, and you know, I'm an Italian Catholic girl, you know, big family. And mm-hmm. I really, you know, was basically taught if I was like in a one mile radius of sperm, I would get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't think it would be any, any problem whatsoever. Yeah. And so, yeah, it just all came as a shock. Were you getting pressure from your family at all? Like, why didn't you settle down? Where's the grandkids? Like that whole the, thing? The, the getting married, I got more pressure about. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was up my butt about getting married. Even my mm-hmm. five-year-old niece at the time was like, why can't you find anyone to marry you? Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. But I used to have a, a joke in my routine that my, had this one Aunt Jeanette who would be like, when are you going to be next? When are you going to be next? When am I going to see you in that white dress? When are you going to be next? And so I started asking her the same thing at funerals. Because <laughs> everyone just wanted me to get married. That's awesome. Yeah. I literally, when we got engaged, the day we got engaged, I called my dad and we were heading out to Long Island, which is where I grew up. And he picked us up and said, okay, I'm just going to swing by a hall uh, that I think would be great for your wedding. And I'm like, we, we just got engaged. He's like, yeah, yeah, we got to move on this. It was like he was worried that my husband was going to change his mind. They had a lot. <laughs> He's like, I reserved the hall. Yeah. There's a dress waiting for you inside. Aunt Janine is holding it. Yes, exactly. My dad pretty much planned. He's a retired FAA air traffic manager. Oh, wow. He was bored, I think. So he pretty much planned my wedding. I, I picked the husband and that's probably the extent of it. Okay. So then did you guys, when you finally did get married, did you start talking about having kids or had you talked about it before you got married? Or We had talked about it before we even got married. This shows you how old I am. When I first met him, I went to MySpace to see his picture. Mm-hmm. Girl, I'm right there oh, with you. I know. It's a throwback <laughs> that you would not believe. Whatever happened to poor I'm Tom right from there MySpace? Do you remember Connections, which was like oh my <laughs> the God. phone line where you could like go? It was like a party line where you could yeah. like go on the phone and like whoever would be on the line would be on there and you could talk to like groups of people all over the country. <laughs> it seems ridiculous now, doesn't so it? Ridiculous. Like you think back to it, you're like, what the hell? Now nobody wants to talk to anybody. We used to do it at slumber parties though. Like, let's call connection. Oh my God, I think we did that too. That's so funny. Yeah. Probably like half your the people listening who are like under 30 are like, what? Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm right there with you. So yeah, MySpace, he had that he didn't want to have kids. And so we were just friends at this point because we were writing together on a, a, for a sketch show. And I said, oh, that's a shame. And I said something kind of flirty. I was like, because we would make the most adorable children. Mm, and he said, line. when I made that joke, he started to rethink his whole attitude about children. Nice. So yeah, we got that ahead of the whole marriage thing. So yeah, okay. we were all about it. Right. So what happened when you guys started to try? So we... Started to try pretty much right away. So, you know, I got married, say, in September, turned 34 in November. I'm trying to remember. And we started trying and nothing was happening. And as luck would have it, it actually is kind of shocking to me when I look back on it. I was, I had been going to this OBGYN forever who also happened to be an RE. So I knew him before I met even my husband and 
what have you. Okay. And so he was worried about my age, which again, I was like, you know, you've got to be kidding me. I'm in my early thirties. Right. Um, but he was like, let's start getting a little bit more aggressive. So I, I did Clomid and timed cycles. Then did you get crazy did, from Clomid? Oh my God. Clomid. I actually made my husband cry over a brunch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Tell me what happened. I was like the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. Clomid. It was, it, it, I did not agree with Clomid and Clomid did not agree with me. And I, even I was performing one night and I started seeing double and that's also a side effect of Clomid. What? Like when you were doing stand up, you started. Yeah. The audience looked twice as big. It was really bizarre. Whoa. Um, but I was like having hot flashes. And the thing that I had learned later that I thought was kind of interesting and that made sense is that I guess Clomid stimulates your ovaries to produce more follicles mm -hmm. where injectable hormones actually stimulates the part in your brain that tells your ovaries to produce more follicles. Interesting. So okay. Clomid is a little bit more like rough and tumble. Like, like aggro. Yeah, exactly. It's like, come on, bitches. Like, we're going right to you ovaries and you better start producing more <laughs> eggs. So it's a little intense, but yeah, I did not, me and Coleman did not get along. Yeah, that's a common theme. I feel like 85% of the people I talk to that have used Clomid have had a bad reaction to it. Yeah, no. I mean, and with estrogen priming, I loved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what, what did you love about it? I, I get migraines. I've always gotten migraines around my period. And when I was estrogen priming for one of my subsequent IVF cycles, I didn't get any migraines. Hmm. So I said to my neurologist, could I just keep estrogen priming? And he's like, well, you could, but you also increase your chances of having a stroke. So I'm like, headaches it is. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. I'm just an anomaly all, all around. But Amazing. Yeah. So we've done, after the time cycles and the three IUIs, which are, were all holiday themed, which is just what? coincidental. Yeah. I think the first one was Thanksgiving-ish. Oh, I was thinking, oh my God, I, I literally thought you meant you went in and they were like, the, like the machine was like decorated and like, okay, so no. they all fell on holidays. Yes, the, but the second one, it's funny you should say that, was uh, around Christmas and he used to have music playing in the room. Mm. And so to get inseminated to Here Comes Santa Claus was like, oh my God, it was an awkward moment. We're all involved. And then the last one was Valentine's Day. I did not plan it that way, but that's it was all holiday themed. I'm like, wow, okay. Odd. But um, none were successful. Yeah, no, nothing. I mean, yeah. nothing. I never saw an even hint of being pregnant or anything. And I was uh -huh. getting really, I think that's when I was like getting completely freaked out. Like, yeah. wow, this is not like we hadn't even been trying a year. Okay. And we already had tried, you know, assisted reproductive technology, at least, you know, the low rent one. Right. Um, and it's after the third IUI didn't work and he suggested IVF. I just was like, can this really actually be happening? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. So what, how are you feeling emotionally? Like aside from the Clomid, like Hulk craziness, did you, were you feeling bummed and like down that it wasn't happening or were you kind of like, all right, on to the next? I definitely started to get really down mm -hmm. and it's not like me. I mean, you know, I, I describe myself as optimistically pessimistic. Um, <laughs> like I have a great attitude about most things and I'm like, well, we'll figure it out. It'll work itself out. Or I'm usually like, you know, trying to figure out what's the, the good in whatever situation is happening. Yeah. But I'm, there's also just this swirl of realism at all times. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, I was like, you know, I'll probably get pregnant before the IVF, like 
you know, I'm sure. And then like nothing, nothing, yeah. nothing. And I think it started to really crush my optimism completely. And again, going from being a stand-up comic and getting on stage in front of people, and being very extroverted, I would get my period. I remember this happening a lot and like get in bed and pretty much stay there for like the entire weekend. Mm. I remember one day I went to bed at 4 p.m. I was Mm -hmm. just like, I can't. That sounds so dreamy to me right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Oh my my God. God. Long for those days. I I mean, I started to avoid like friends who had children Mm. or were getting pregnant around me. I mean, I just, I, I really became very... I would say reclusive and it mm-hmm. put a huge, huge strain on our marriage. It just, yeah. it just was, it was not good. It was not yeah. pretty. Can I, you I, tell I, me more about that? Yeah. I think one of the things that I learned about Mike, that's my husband and I, when we were going through infertility is we were dealing with it completely differently mm-hmm. and we were not communicating enough he would like, not to make him sound like a deadbeat, but he would like play video games. <laughs> mm-hmm. He would like be, we lived in a railroad apartment. He would yeah. be in the front of the apartment playing video games all day. That was his. That sounds, re- that's his coping mechanism. That yeah, sounds I reasonable. Mean, but he's a, I don't want people to think he's just sitting there, you know, smoking right. pot playing, you know, <laughs> playing. Um, but no judgment. And if he yeah, was, exactly. that sounds well, right. kind of awesome, actually. I don't even know the name of a. Call of Duty? Is that one? I don't know. Does he wear like the headset and he like plays with other people? No, no. Oh. I don't even know what game he plays. He probably plays Pac-Man. online baseball. <laughs> like, throwing it back again. Donkey Kong. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a lot of throwbacks. I know, right? Um, so, and I would be in the back of the apartment and I was writing my blog at the time. It was the two-week wait. It still is, but now it's on a different location. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing the blog, the two-week wait. I'm on Twitter obsessively connecting with other people in the same situation. Mm-hmm. And I guess in a way, I mean, the, the infertility community was really, really vital to me and mm-hmm. I'm still indebted to them, which is, I think why I still am so active. Like I yeah. feel like I need to pay it forward now and, and return the favor. Absolutely. But in a sense, I wonder if at the time I turned more to them than my husband. Mm. Yeah. And I think, I think it just all around, we were not we were just so dealing with it differently. And the the more it kept going on and on and on, you know, the first IVF cycle, the second IVF cycle, like the worse it got. Okay. Can you tell me, so what year was this? Like when you started the two-week wait, like what was- I think it was the very end of 2009. Okay. So you were like a pioneer in this community, like, because- It's funny because I don't, like I, you know- you had Amy Klein on recently and, and she's a friend of mine and mm-hmm. um, I, I adore her. I, and I remember meeting her ages ago. My God, yeah. maybe it's 2012. But at the time, there weren't that many people out. <laughs> totally. No. I mean, no other way of putting that. Like they were more closeted about their infertility experience. 100%. Well, that's what I was going to say was, so when I was going through this with my secondary infertility, so I had my daughter in 2009, but there wasn't an infertility issue with her. And then, you know, two and a half to three years later, we started to try and then I was in it. Yeah. But there was nothing, I couldn't, I wish I would have known about your blog and, you know, I couldn't find a community at that point. You know, I wasn't really. I don't even know how I found it. Right. Okay. I really don't. it's interesting that 2009, you had a blog and you were writing about it like that. You were definitely one of the the pioneers, I would say. Well, the thing is, 
and, and I, I feel uncomfortable saying this a little bit because I don't want to be too self-congratulatory. Also, the comic in me always has to be self-deprecating. But <laughs> it's my favorite th- quality in a human. self I know. I can never, it's, I can never just, it's like really hard for me to, yeah, <laughs> accept a compliment or boast or do anything. Right. But the thing about my blog that I will say is I remember there was one other blog that was also similar to mine. Oh my God, I can't remember the name of it. But most blogs at the time were either, and I say this with tremendous respect, but they were either too clinical. Yeah. You know, like maybe like a doctor was writing it. Yeah. Or it, they were, it was just too depressing. Yeah. That's what, um, I, that's what I found too. Yeah. Um, sorry to interrupt, but that was what I found was like, it was either too many like acronyms and terms and clinical and stats and numbers and not very personal yeah or just like two out there like I just couldn't connect so yeah well and that's I think taking my sense of humor and even even calling back to Gilda's Club and and I, I loved Gilda Radner I was a oh. theater major so that's why I could talk about the Muppets and Gilda Radner and yes. all these people all day oh my god but Gilda, Gilda Radner really took her, her sense of humor and used it as a coping mechanism yeah with cancer. Oh my and God. And her definitely, eating disorder, like her, oh my I watched God, that yes. documentary. Wow. Yes. Oh my God. I love that documentary. She was in so much pain. Yeah. You know? And she had such, I mean, even through it all, still such a strong sense of humor and working at, at Noogie Land with the kids. And, and I, I also volunteered at GMHC and, and that was intense because either they had AIDS or their parents had AIDS. This Wait, what's an, GMHC? GMHC is the Gay Men's Health Crisis Oh, okay. Center. Got it. And um, they've obviously expanded, but they kept it GMHC to honor the founders that found it when AIDS mm-hmm. was a real um, epidemic. And I just, using your sense of humor, I mean, never being disrespectful because it is, I mean, these are serious illnesses. Of course. Um, but using your sense of humor to, I don't know, take away its power and just kind of look at it differently was a, a lesson I always had learned, certainly through life, but, but very much from Gilda's club. And so my blog was funny, right? You know, I would make a lot of jokes. I had trying to conceive proverbs. I had infertility greeting cards. I had taken it like even, I always tell this famous story that, and people still remember this, which is so funny to me. I had a uterine polyp that they found right after my first IVF. Yeah. I know what you're going to say. Yes. And so I was like, oh crap. And I was devastated. You know, we just spent all this money on this, this first cycle. Was that the polyp there before, you know, was it cock blocking my efforts of getting pregnant? Right. You know, I was having all these really hardcore emotions and to kind of deal with it, I, I decided to name it Jackson Polyp. Genius. Yes. And I gave him his own Twitter account. <laughs> oh my God. I didn't know that part. Yes. That's oh amazing. yeah. And people followed him. People still bring it up. They're like, oh my God. They even, they were kind of, we were all kind of bummed. <laughs> once, I, once I had the surgery to remove him because I made it like he was this loafer in my uterus and he was an artist, you know, down in his luck, not selling any of his paintings. Right. And I would, I would tweet as him for like that a month or two. Genius. Oh my God. It was so funny. It was hilarious to me. I mean, because... No, it's genius. Because I remember reading about Jackson Polyp. Yes. And that's so funny. Polyp. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, and, and it was, that's when the blog started to really get a lot of attention. Right. Because people connected with it, the humor. And certainly, again, there weren't too many funny blogs. There, there are tons now. And there, there may have been more that I just wasn't aware of. But I remember there was like, I don't know if the other blog was like, I don't know, 100 funny things about fertility, but it was like literally me and this woman, whoever she was, right. 
that's the only two blogs that were kind of funny at the time. Yeah. So were you finding support in the community? Was it giving you? Okay. So that's good. Yeah. No, it was tremendous. I mean, I got a lot of blog comments. I, there was this one office somewhere. I don't know where, but the women in the office would read my blog. I don't know them. I don't know if they were like in Maryland. I don't, I mean, and they would be like, Hey, we're rooting for you. I mean, I would get emails and a whole bunch of things. And, And, you know, talking about finding the positive in things, that's, a, a company at the time it was called Fertility Authority. They were following my blog, and they were like, "Would you want to work here with us?" Wow. And I ended up. I, I share that because I ended up changing my whole career because of the blog. It's just mm-hmm. crazy. I my friends, my focus, my advocacy efforts. You know where I volunteered, right. what I wrote about, and and eventually my job. All was fertility. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's, that is a real positive to me. Absolutely. So what was going on with you personally? So you've got the blog, you're... Yeah, I mean, the blog... Mike's playing Call of Duty and smoking yeah, weed. exactly. And I'm in the back, I'm in the back, you know, talking about <laughs> cervical mucus at 2 a.m. in the morning, as you do. Right. And so what you said you did a couple of rounds of IVF? Yeah, so we did one IVF. That was the only one that was covered by insurance. The second IVF was a clinical trial, which was very intense because it was a clinical trial. I had to go to the clinic every single day for two weeks Mm -hmm. because they were monitoring this medication I was taking very closely. So every, every day for two weeks, and it was like two trains and a 10 minute walk because I live in Brooklyn. So I had to go to the Upper East Side, which I might as well just take in a plane. And it was in the dead of winter. And so I would go every day, get, you know, the vaginal sonogram, woohoo, and then blood work, and then go to work. I mean, but it was free. I would do a prostate exam if it was free. I don't care. <laughs> so that's why I did the clinical trial. Nothing did not work. And I really, and at this point, I had started a small fertility brunch group where women, I, you know, that I found out were in the area that having similar issues, and they would come over for brunch. And one by one, People were getting pregnant and not coming back to brunch. And I was even, and God forgive me, and I'm, I really do apologize if this offends anyone, but I think it's important to share this so you know that we're all human. Mm-hmm. I started to become jealous of people who at least had gotten pregnant and had like a pregnancy loss. I know that's, mm-hmm. that's completely bizarre. I don't think it's bizarre. I understand. I was just like, at least I know they can get pregnant. Like I felt right. like a, a failure that I could not even totally ever get pregnant because that's the thing that they would say at the brunch. The, some of the women, they were like, and, and again, I know that that was a stupid thing to think. Let me just acknowledge that. No, um, it's not stupid though. It's, it's like you said, it's human. Well, yeah. And I don't want anyone to ever think like, you know, and I, some people have had recurrent pregnancy loss. Like I'm sure they're like, listen, idiot. No. <laughs> you don't want this. But I, I was just so hormonal and jealous mm-hmm. that, because the thing they would say is, uh, at least the doctors had said it to the women at, at the fertility brunches, you know, it's least an encouraging sign because you know you can get pregnant. That's what they were, that was their comfort. Sure. And when they said that, I'm like, I don't even know if I can get pregnant. I right. Because you never had been. No, nothing. Anything. Nothing. Yeah. So. Now it's time for our third IVF, and okay. it was, uh, it was part of my bonus from work. My parents gave money. Yeah, um, 
My parents gave money and so did my husband's for ours too. Thank God for the parents. Yes. And, it, it, you know, I, at one of the um, recent advocacy events in Albany just this past February, I think it was, or the beginning of March, uh-huh. that came up a lot when we were talking to um, lawmakers and representatives yeah. about trying to expand um, fertility coverage here in New York that, you know, here are like grownups, <laughs> like, you know, 30, 40 year olds either tapping into their you know, Roth savings account or right. bankrupting their parents, you know, oh, like that's just insane. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's mom, kind of, can I get some money? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so everyone sort of chipped in. And then the most amazing thing, and this is not legal, let me just be clear, is I had posted on my blog and on Twitter that I needed certain medications that weren't covered. And people from I mean, even from Scotland, I got something. People from all over the world started to send me medications. Good. Yeah. So it was all, my doctor didn't care, but you're not supposed to really actually do that. Sure. Yeah. What is so, the, what, how does that work now? Because I've seen people post on, you know, Facebook groups and stuff now, like I need Menopure or whatever. Like, yeah. is it, what is, is it legal? Is it illegal? Like how, what's. I think you can give a person leftover medication. I think the illegal part was they were sending it to me. Mailing it. I think. It. Yeah. Gotcha. But I would like come home and find estrogen patches in the mail. Oh my God. Um, and then my friend, we went to see a, um, a movie and she actually slipped me a um, progesterone and oil vial. <laughs> <laughs> we were seeing Jane Eyre. And it was a Amazing. remake of Jane Eyre. So it's kind of appropriate, like very um, estrogen-y. Amazing. Uh, chick flick moment. Right. But all the medications. Right there? Oh my God, no. Okay. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> I'm sure people have though. But yeah, so all of my medications were donated to me pretty much okay. by the community. So, I mean, that was huge. And, and that the thing was, we really were going to be out of cash if that IVF mm-hmm. didn't work. Like that was it. And, and getting back to my relationship with Mike, he wanted to, he wanted to stop after the third IVF. Mm-hmm. He was like, if it's, if it doesn't work this time, let's go on to something else. You know, let's travel. Let's just do something else and give up. Yep. And I wanted to keep trying. And that's when I was like, this is bad. Like, I remember going to bed one night being like, okay, now we're at an impasse. Like now we're not both yeah. in this. Like now yeah. we don't, we're not seeing eye to eye. Um, it's so funny that you use that word because I've used that exact word with my husband too before when we were, before we even did IVF, but we were at the same place where he wanted to stop. It was really wreaking havoc on our relationship and I remember being like looking at him in the in the car one day and I was like, I don't know if we're going to make it. Like we're yeah. totally at an impasse. Like we could not agree. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. And we had to have some really, really hard talks. Well, and I do wonder not to to be Debbie Downer, but I do wonder if there's ever been a study about relationships and infertility. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if I think you have I, spoken to Andrea Sertash. Mm-hmm. She had talked about how she felt like it made her relationship stronger mm. through infertility. And whenever she has said that, I'm always amazed because, mm. because that was not at all my experience. No, and neither. I have seen some people really band together, some couples, but it just was not mine. But on, on what you're saying on that topic, I've seen also couples where maybe like one person is like, all right, it's time to do donor eggs. And the other one's like, I'm not doing donor eggs. Yeah. Even, even the movie Vegas Baby, which is a documentary about infertility, there's a couple there where one is ready 
to adopt and the other one absolutely wants to have a biological child. I mean, it, it, it mm-hmm. does come up, I think, more than people realize. Yeah. I never saw that documentary. Is it good? I'm, I'm actually in it. Oh, nice. <laughs> so so I, I don't know how important it, it is. It's excellent. Of course it is. Yes. No, no. It, but all, all kidding aside, it's actually, I think, a must see for okay. people in infertility, not because of me, not even me remotely. It's because you see three different journeys. Gotcha. One, a, a single lesbian who wants to be uh-huh. a single parent uh-huh. who doesn't have you know access to fertility treatment. The other one is husband and wife, uh-huh. and they had a devastating pregnancy loss. They lost twins. Uh-huh. Um, that they conceive through IVF and they're completely out of funds. And then this couple that I just mentioned, oh my God, it's so good. Sorry, it's yeah. I could go on. But then no, it's the funny because I is great. Yeah, I it's like I haven't I've avoided a lot of those documentaries and even movies. It's the PTSD of it all. Like, well, I don't. It's funny you should say that because even though I am in that movie, it it's hard for me to watch. I've mm-hmm. only seen it twice. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem talking to women and interviewing, you know, women and men for the podcast and in the community and stuff, but something about locking into a film or like, yeah. I haven't been able to do it yet. It's weird. Yeah, There's no, some- I mean, in, I, it just, even my husband, when he finally saw the movie and it, it was, what the hell is it? What is it? The, oh my God, I can't believe this. It's a big, oh, Tribeca Film Festival. Yeah. So it was in the Tribeca Film Festival and my husband had never seen it before and he came with me and, and it didn't cover our our treatment. I was just interviewed for gotcha. it. And still, he and I, like, it brought back so many painful memories. Mm, yeah. It's so well done. And But you also see a lot of different patients, like even the ones that they didn't follow, just being interviewed. And it is so raw and so mm-hmm. emotional. And And I think that's the thing that I try to impress upon people who don't understand infertility. It affects pretty much every aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. And it's so visceral. So, I mean, it just, to me, it really absolutely devastated me. Yeah. Um, and, and in my work, in my relationship, in yeah. my self-esteem, our finances, I yeah. mean, all of it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's best described as a trauma. It, it really is. It's going through trauma, yeah. you know, and yeah. like any other trauma, it has, it profoundly affects everything, like you said. So, yep. Okay. Well, let's get back to the chronology of your story. So, yes. So, you guys are at an impasse. Right. So, the third IVF, oh my God. <laughs> it was such a bummer. So, so they retrieved like 13 eggs. Okay. And I was like, all right, this is the most eggs I've ever gotten. Uh Because I never really, I was, they never could figure out what was wrong with me. They were like, you see, like your blood works fine. Everything seems fine. They can't figure it out. You know, other than being in my thirties, you know, who the hell knows. But I got the fertility report back and I only had one embryo. Mm. And I'm like, oh, we're screwed. Like this, this is it. This is over. You know, what's so funny too, as we're talking, I realized it was almost this time exactly seven years ago wow. because they did the transfer on Memorial Day. Okay. Seven years ago? Eight? Nine? Oh my God. I'm, I'm so bad with math. Anyway, theater major, don't know math. Anyway, so <laughs> like I, they call me, they say they have only one embryo, not the results we wanted. I was absolutely convinced the embryo wasn't going to make it till transfer day. I remember I repainted the entire apartment. Mm-hmm. I was so anxious about it. Mm-hmm. And 
there's so many there's so many anecdotes from this day that I could tell you about. It just yeah. was a very I mean I'm about to go back to the transfer and they stop me and they're like and your doctor's on the phone. Okay. And I'm like so I'm thinking she's going to tell me the embryo's gone. And I get on the phone and she says so cuz she was on vacation of course that uh-huh. weekend. And she was like, so I know the fertility report isn't what we hoped, but I have some great ideas for your fourth IVF. Now I'm like in a gown and a hat. <laughs> right. I'm like, well, can I just finish the cycle I'm currently in? Right. Just completely assume that this is not going to work. I mean, wow. like, I know it was so bizarre. That is bizarre. It just because I, I, I would not have thought her to call me right. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway. Right. She, Timing is everything if I've learned nothing from stand-up. So I remember I get off the phone and I go to the hallway and I just broke down in tears. I'm like, this is not going to work. Even my RE doesn't think it's going to work. Like, I wasn't saying this out loud. I just was like hysterically crying. Right, right. I'm not really a a crier either. And I don't know who this woman was. She wasn't wearing like a nurse's outfit. I don't know if she was a clerical person, but she was the one who was going to bring me back because everyone else went with the nurse. And she like practically grabbed me like Cher grabbed Nicolas Cage and Moonstruck (laughs) and was like, listen, you wouldn't be here if they didn't think this was going to work. So let's go. Did she smack you across the face and go (laughs) snap out of it? (laughs) It felt like that. Yeah. And and again, I never saw her again, but (laughs) I, it just was, she kind of did help me, whoever you are. Are you sure that really happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny. Just, she was like an intense New York woman. Yeah. I was like, I was too frightened to argue with her. I'm like, okay, let's go do the transfer. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, so long story short, I really, I'm, we just, our hopes were in the, in the dumpster. Yeah. And the night before my beta, pretty much like Mike and I, I don't know if we had a fight or just like a really bad discussion about what we were going to do next. And the next morning I woke up at five in the morning and I usually don't test um, before beta, which I actually still recommend, but I felt like this was so bad that I just wanted to prepare myself for bad results. Mm -hmm. And so it's five in the morning, I pee on the stick and for the first time ever in like three years, it actually said pregnant. Whoa. So the one embryo stuck around. Oh my God. The one embryo I had, the only embryo, which pretty much all of her finances and relationship are riding on, but no pressure. And that's now my son, Michael, who's eight. Oh my God. So what did that feel like when you saw that test? I was just shocked. I peed on sticks a lot in the coming weeks because I'd never seen a positive pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, you know, is, is this really happening? And I think Mike and I were both in shock for like the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then we decided to go to couples counseling because I do think like infertility eroded our relationship. And mm-hmm. now we're like, okay, this is happening. Now what? Yeah. Well, it's yeah, like, like we've been focusing on this for so long. Like, who are we? What do we talk about? Yeah. I mean, and my husband too, like really went through a, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it, but just like, oh my God, this is really happening. I'm going to be someone's father. Do I know what the hell I'm doing type Right. So we did do couples counseling and and that was a huge, huge help to us. I think in retrospect, we probably should have been doing couples counseling while going through the treatment. But also Um, it's like, you don't have the money. Yeah. Right. Or the therapy is expensive. Yeah, it is. It is. And I mean, it, it, it did help us out a lot, but I, I think, I think it just really came down to 
we were able to communicate better because we weren't in the throes of right. hell, you know, yeah. trying to deal with infertility. So we were right. able to really talk to each other about what we needed and what we wanted and how we felt about things. And it, and we got slowly back on track, but it took, mm-hmm. it took some time. Do you know, did they have, this is just thinking off the top of my head, but did they, they must now have at certain clinics and stuff therapy kind of baked in, right? Like you would think there's a counselor. There are some. There okay. are some that do have like a, a therapist. Yeah. Like I know RMA of Connecticut has uh, Lisa Schumann. That would be um, nice if it was part of the package. Yeah. Right? You get a they couple do do therapy that sessions. <laughs> they should. They absolutely should. I really believe that. Yeah. I mean, and again, some couples don't have these issues, but I know a lot that do. And it's it's just, it's like you know, there's all these studies where they compare infertility to a death or cancer or Absolutely. something. And those issues, you do either mourn or cope differently. Right. And it, there's no way that can't impact either you or your relationship. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's too right. heavy. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. So you're pregnant. And how old were you at this point? Oh my God. Again, bad with numbers. Fast math. I, was, I think I was 37 <laughs> or 38. I did after I gave birth to Michael. Yeah. I went back to the RE that I, you know, had the success with um, because I'm like, all right, you know, she knows what she's doing apparently. Uh She called me right before my transfer. And I said, what, like now that I have a kid, (laughs) it was kind of like, now that I have a kid, you're not off the hook. Do you know what's wrong with me? Yeah. And she said, she, because I would always get all these eggs and have one embryo. She's like, you're very weird. And I'm like, that's what I want to hear. Great. That's the technical term. Yeah. She's like, because most people, when they produce an embryo, it's either like, it's sometimes it's like maybe four cells or six cells or three cells. She's like, you only produce eight cell embryos. So it's like your eggs are like, either we're going to do a perfect eight cell embryo or we're doing nothing. Okay. So basically she was saying my eggs had high standards. Right. So... (laughs) I was like, well, do you think I can ever try for a second child? And she said, no. (laughs) Okay. She was like, you're not a good responder. You know, and do you want to spend money on not getting pregnant Uh when you actually have a child at home? Right. And so, you know, we we were like, okay, that's it. You know, one and done. Right. I was kind of sad about it, but I was just so grateful to have the one. Sure. So we gave away all of Michael's baby stuff as he got older. And then maybe a week before I turned, I think, 41, mm-hmm. I found out I was pregnant on my own. Wow. So yeah. what, tell me about that. What, you, were you guys like not, not trying or? We, we really thought, just, not like we thought it just wasn't possible. Okay, sure. <laughs> just, yeah. I mean, I, I just, we, you know, you have a doctor, she gave me a one to 3% chance of ever conceiving naturally. Oh my God. And so, and I was old. I mean, at that point, I was in my 40s, going to be 41. Yeah. And, you know, usually your egg quality goes down significantly and my eggs weren't that great to begin with. Yeah. So it was weird to go through all of this hell right. the first time. And then, and I was, I mean, talk about floored. I was so stupid too, because I was like, you know, my period is a little late. And I kept being like, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Because I'm like, there's no way I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, all right, that's it. It's my lunch hour. I'll just take a pregnancy test in my lunch hour. Because I was so convinced that it would be negative. And right. then when it was positive, I'm in like in the bathroom stall at work. At work. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was not a smart move. But Where anyway, were you working at the time? At the time, that was Fertility Authority. Okay. 
And I just, I remember I quietly walked back. I stuck the pregnancy test in my bra and I quietly walked back to my <laughs> desk and got my cell phone and like left the room and yeah. called my doctor like, you need to see me now. Oh like, my God. Is, I don't know what What did Mike say? He, and it's funny, <laughs> I, when I said to him, I have something for you and I don't know if you're going to like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> And that I, could be so many things. Exactly. And so I, I put the test in a box, like a, um, a jewelry box, and he thought I was giving him a watch. And so he opened it up and he said, is this a joke? And I said, no. And then his next question, which I will always remember, is when did we have sex? Mm-hmm. So obviously it was memorable. <laughs> He's like, doesn't even remember. I'm like, that's great. So yeah. we, I remember that night. That's amazing. Do you ever have like such shocking news? And like that night, he and I just like didn't really, we were just so shocked. We barely spoke. Well, yeah, totally. Because we were like, okay, so this is happening. Can we get our baby stuff back? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Like, this like is, who's got the crib? <gasps> yeah. But the infertility community, some were a little disappointed that I ended up conceiving on my own. Well, As, I mean. And I get it. I get it. And then others, I guess, like some people, the fertile people usually said, well, do you ever wonder maybe then if you didn't do IVF the first time, you just, you know, needed to wait it out? I'm just like, no. Like, I, I think if you are, you know, and this is something I know we people talk about often, when you have kids, does it heal all of the infertility scars? No, no. And, and it doesn't change your diagnosis. I still have CPT codes <laughs> on all right. of my claims that say I have an infertility issue. I did. I mean, what is the CPT code for people? Oh, it's, um, sorry. It's uh, okay. like an insurance code that I uh, basically that clinics and doctors use to, I forget mm-hmm. what CPT stands for, but it's, it's your official diagnosis. Right. So insurance is like, oh, okay, this is her medical diagnosis. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And so I still stand behind. Yeah. I have two kids now. I do. Right. Um, but I was absolutely diagnosed with infertility. Right. I did not get pregnant easily. And, and I, I don't like when people say, cause I read an article once when someone's like, Oh, I, you know, I had children and now I'm cured of infertility. Right. I, I don't, no. I don't get that. I agree with you. It never goes away. But also why do people why are people all up in your business about it? Like who, it's not really for them to say or judge, like, well, I think, or diminish what you, it almost seems like they're trying to not validate what you went through. I think the thing, it's a couple of things. I think some in in the community were unhappy with me because I now became like a big advocate and they felt I didn't handle announcing the pregnancy correctly to be Mm. honest with you. Basically what happened was my husband posted it on Christmas day Mm, and I knew it was going to get out now. Oh, okay. (laughs) And so on December 26th, this was a big thing. Uh, December 26th, I posted on Twitter, you know, as some of you may know, I'm pregnant. I'm sorry for anyone this hurts. And then the next 48 hours, was a Twitter catastrophe. Whoa, what happened? Well, they felt that me announcing, this is what what I was told, me announcing that I was pregnant on Christmas was very triggering. And I still don't know, and people may want to strangle me for this, but I still don't know what the right thing to do was because my husband really wanted to announce it on Christmas. My 
dad, who I love and respect and adore, and, and he had had a health issue previously, he was, it was really important to him to announce it as well. They were both yeah. really excited, and these two men mean the world to me. Right. Um, so it wasn't technically me who announced it. Right. Then, like, I got all this horrible, angry tweets about, yeah. you know, how can you call yourself an advocate and be so insensitive, blah, 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 blah. Oh, and then wow. what was weird was, sorry, I keep using that word, but what was unusual was people were now getting into a fight about my pregnancy and I was like not even involved with yes. it. And there were like seven blog blogs written about it. Oh my God. Bloggers like, you know, as you heard, uh, an influencer and the fertility. I mean, it was just bizarre. And uncomfortable and shocking and right. there are still people who really hate me for it wow um, but i've kind of just grown to accept you know yeah i mean i think it's, it, it's few people it just goes to show i guess how much pain there is right in this community like exactly anyone who's coming at you or any haters who are i mean i get with the sensitivity thing but you make a good point that it wasn't you that and like what's a what really would be the right way to do it but it's like well, and that's the thing that they were arguing about that on Twitter. Some people were like, why are you, you know, being angry at her? Like someone, I remember someone posted, my mother passed away. Does that mean none of you can ever celebrate Mother's Day? Like they right. were having major arguments all about me and it, I was very yeah. uncomfortable with it. Totally. But I did learn a lot from the experience. I, I definitely learned to think a lot before I post something or do something because I am still a very active fertility and fertility advocate. Right. But I also learned exactly what you just said, not to excuse at all upsetting anybody, but the majority of the people who were really mad at me did not have children. Yeah, of course. They just didn't. And so I think as soon as I realized this is about their pain yeah, and completely. the they need to direct it somewhere. And again, I'm not trying to let myself off the hook, but no, I, I, I agree. I got it. I got yeah. that, you know, the, they're going to be mad at me and I'm just going to have to keep doing what I'm doing. Wow. I, so I you think, ignited like a Twitter war. I did. <laughs> you were like oh yeah. No, it center. was. It, Wait, so what year was this with the Twitter feed? That I was look 2000, all this 2014. You okay. can, I even wrote about it on my blog yeah. trying to explain everything and and people wrote nasty comments and, oh my gosh and, I mean it was a big big thing at the time and it was I just was at this retreat with some infertility people and, and they brought it up even and it was funny too other people who were going to announce they were pregnant would contact me privately and be like what did you do so I could what not do, I do? do? <laughs> oh my god like, I'm so glad I could be helpful you're the but, face of what not to do <laughs> exactly but I will say this there were people who did apologize to me later yeah they, like they were like you know what that was like they went on to have their own children or something. There were some people that were like, okay, that wasn't cool. But, but I, I do think it just shows you the, the power of the community. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I mean, you really can. It's so easy to upset someone. I don't, right. I don't know if you can ever completely win, honestly. And I don't think you can ever completely please anybody, nor should you have to. You know, I think that one thing is people need to remember like, the, the less judgment people have towards one another, like we're all trying to do the best that we can, right? Yeah, I mean, and the thing that I, and I'm, I'm very proud of this one thing, I, that shook me to my core. And I remember thinking, well, I can't be an advocate anymore. I can't write about this. Mm. You know, I've lost my advocacy card. And then something occurred to me and I never have second guessed it ever again. And that is exactly what you and I talked about earlier. When I was in the trying to conceive trenches, I was in bed at 4 p.m. as we've 
disgust, Mm -hmm. crying, emotional, having a tough time with my husband. There is no way I could have advocated then. And what I realized was right now I can for the people who are in that position now. So when I go to Albany or Washington, D.C. or write an article about infertility, I realize I am because I'm, I'm not going to have any more kids. I, I mean, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for the people that are going to come after me, you know, who need treatment and need access to care or family mm-hmm. building tools like, you know, I don't know, donor eggs, donor sperm, embryo uh, donation. And I, I think that's when it finally clicked for me. I'm like, okay, I am doing the thing <laughs> that I couldn't do for the person who's at home right now in bed crying because she got her period. Completely. And I was like, everyone can hate me then. I'm like, yeah. I, that's how I reconciled it. I'm like, you, you know, you can hate me. You can disagree with how that all went down, that I got pregnant on my own, but you can't deny that I'm still trying to do something good for the next person that has infertility. Okay, guys, thank you for listening to my conversation with Jay. And Jay, oh my God, I love you. I can't wait until this is all over so we can hang out in real life and have some fun. So thanks for sharing your story. Thank you for being a pioneer in this space. And to everybody listening, if you feel so inclined and you want to write a review of the podcast or go over to Apple and give it a rating, that would be amazing. It always helps to just spread the word and get more attention and get more people who need to hear these stories listening. So thank you in advance if you feel like you want to do that. And I will talk to you guys next time. Bye.